Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Wendy Papazian. And I'm Via Williams. So you guys know that we've talked a lot about wealth building and I'm pretty financially focused right now. I'm at a point in my life where I realized a little late to the party that I needed to have a certain amount of passive income at retirement. I know, I know. It's like, you know, Welcome to world, the world, Via. Mm-hmm. But as part of this journey and kind of, you know, discovering what I wanted to do, it's no surprise to most of you that real estate investment became a primary, you know, domino that I wanted to, to you know, knock over, right? For me, passive income is going to primarily be built on real estate investing. And so it's not also a surprise for those of you in that world that I became a devout student of bigger pockets. You know, their, their podcasts, I've read uh, two of David Green's books. I, I'm a premium member of their website. You name it. I feel very aligned with their world right now because that world is in real estate You have investing. that poster of Brandon Turner on your wall. Brandon Brandon, and, and David are both framed in my... Oh, no, they're not. But you know, <laughs> if you sent me, David, if you sent me a picture, I'd probably, I'd probably put it on my wall. That <laughs> I think Brandon girl. and I might have a uh, like a boy band untapped market that we could probably be doing. 100%. That yeah. will go on my office yeah. wall. I will send you a picture. You know, massive promotion for you. Should we introduce our special guest? So what I was going to say is, so it, it was, you know, the fangirl in me started tracking down. I'm like, Wendy, you know, David Green, who is the founder, co-founder of Bigger Pockets, right, David? Are you the founder or co-founder? No. So I actually, that's a very good question. Josh founded it. He's, he was the owner. He ended up selling it. And when he sold it, he stepped away. I stepped into his spot on the podcast. The host that ran it with Josh Brandon is my best friend. Oh, cool. Okay. Perfect. So I tracked down David Green. Uh, Wendy helped me. And I was like, can we interview you for this podcast? Because, okay, so let's let's go through the list, David. We're going to go through the list together. So well, before, you, before we start, you are, first of all, you're the first male guest we've ever had. Wow. Oh, so there you go. That's, that's saying something. That actually, yeah, yeah, I'm number one. Thank you for that. You're number one. Yeah. You're number one in our world, David. You're amazing. You are the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You've written. Uh, you're a national best-selling author. You know, I, I would say that almost the OG of the Burr method, right? I mean, you guys kind of created that term: buy, mm-hmm. rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. That's the name of your book too. Out of state investing um, is a book I just finished as well, and I also saw you speak on that when you were up here with Ben. You are a real estate agent. You run a, a really successful team. You're a real estate investor. I would call you an investment guru and in wealth building guru and and so many other things. So David Green, you are our first male guest on the Empire <laughs> Building Podcast. Welcome, welcome, sir. Welcome. No pressure, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did we miss anything? Did we miss anything in that bio? Yeah, I mean, you what have else? so many things. It, I don't know if there's anything more pretentious than like, actually, yes, you missed this part of whatever. So <laughs> You're right. I think, I I think you, you got all the big rocks. There. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Well, well, truly welcome. You do so much for the real estate community and it's just an honor and pleasure to have you here. So I'd love to just kick it off by you telling us a little bit about your empire and maybe kind of where you started and, and how you've grown. I appreciate that. I think part of where my appeal came from is it, what I did anybody can do. There's definitely nothing unique. I was a waiter in college and then I became a police officer and I was always sort of interested in 
saving money. I was a very good saver. I didn't know why. I knew I needed to use that money for something. So right around the time I got where I could buy my first house, it was 2004, 2005. And it was... I didn't know much about real estate. I didn't know anything about real estate. But I knew there's no way like I could ever buy a house with houses going up in price this much. What My thought was, I will save enough money to just build a house because they're too expensive to buy. Or... Eventually, prices will tick back down. And I'll, whatever one of those comes first is what I'll do. That's how naive I was. I didn't know about bigger pockets. I had no mentors. I was not a real estate person, just a saver. And then 2009 happened and all these houses started getting going up as foreclosures in California. It was not exaggerating. You drive down a residential neighborhood and every three or four houses would have a for sale sign. It was just very common if you're driving wow. around. You wouldn't even notice for sale anymore because they were... They were everywhere. It was like trees, just little trees in front yards. Mm-hmm. And my friend Matt was going to Bible school and he had a house under contract and he was going to lose his earnest money because he wanted to move to Chicago. And it was really just me wanting to save Matt's money. I said, Well, I was going to mm-hmm. buy a house. Let me go look at it. And I went and looked at this house. It was 2,600 square feet. It was built three years earlier, maybe two years earlier. It sold for 565. He had it under contract at 215. And it basically just <sighs> needed someone to run a vacuum over wow. the carpet. That was it. Wow. And so I went through the motions every person goes through when they're going to buy their first house. Should I wait? I don't know. Blah, blah. And finally, I just said, well, do the right thing. Help your friend. So I, I got the agent to negotiate the price down even more from 215 to 195 Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. And so what city was this in? This what? was in Lathrop, California, which is really okay. close to Stockton, kind of right in between Stockton yeah. and Modesto. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And... uh I bought it. I had no idea what to do. I threw it up on Craigslist. I found my first tenant. I didn't check their credit. I did nothing. I'm just like, oh, they seem nice. I'll throw them in there. Very quickly, it just went absolutely terrible. They stopped paying me rent. The guy was saying like, oh yeah, I drove to your mom's house and left the check under the mat. And we don't see a check. And I went through this for months and months. And then I finally went through the eviction process. But I didn't want to hire anyone to do it because I was cheap. So it just dragged on even longer. Long story short, the title company ended up sending him or sending that house the refund check because the taxes were still set at five sixty five, but I bought it at one ninety five. So they collect taxes at the previously assessed rate. Mm-hmm. It was like a seven thousand dollar check that they ended up mailing back to the house, which he cashed and then paid me my own rent for three months with my own money <laughs> before I got that guy out of there. So I mean, worse things could happen. You could have cashed it and left. Yes, so. that's true. I guess I got it back in some way. That's kind so of funny. I learned all the wrong that's ways. Great real story. I ended yeah. up finding a property manager. They were they were not a good one, but even with a bad property manager, it was so much better than with me doing it. I would have sold the house mm-hmm. if I could, but it just hadn't gone up in price enough to where I could do that. Thank yeah. God, because I never would have done real. I'd be one of those bitter people talking about real estate's a scam. You need to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you and, still have uh, it? Yes, I still do. That house is. It's probably not quite at the five sixty five it sold for when it was brand new, but it's above mm-hmm. five hundred. It's gone up quite a bit. And you have a good tenant. I don't even well, know the tenant I have. I know that I get the oh, property management that's collects a beautiful the money. Answer. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a, a true empire answer. right there. And I do, I do want to go into, into your empire, but I, is it okay, you guys, if we stop here for a minute? Because this is a fundamental question that I've really been dying to ask you, David. And that question, especially after that story, is, is real estate investing for everybody? Does everybody have the stomach for this? Real if, question. If you use the right people, which is often the answer for like everything in life, Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone that can mess this up if you get a few pieces right, which are not complicated pieces at all. Hmm. Or if I guess if you don't have money, if you're if you're not disciplined, you can't save money, you can't keep in reserves, those people I would probably say no. 
But I, but the big pieces would be, are you able to let go of certain things like property management? If you just get a property manager, even if they're not great, like mine wasn't, who knows what to do when something happens, 99% of the stuff that runs through everyone's head, I can't buy real estate. What happens if the toilet leaks? What happens if a thing breaks? You just don't even need to know. They'll mm-hmm. just come to you and they'll say, here's what you're going to do. It takes every problem and it moves it from you need to have the knowledge to fix it to you need to have the money to fix it. And the cool thing with real estate is if you do it right, it is providing money for you to fix its own problem. So all that stress goes away when you get the right person. The next thing would just be you have to have capital in reserve. You have to be good at self-control. If you can control yourself and you can live under your means and you can put money away and you have money in reserves, you won't lose money with real estate. It's always going up. The rents are increasing. The value is increasing. It's a very simple way to make money, but you will hit periodic storms where everything goes wrong. That's just a part of this asset class. Like 2009, 2010 was one of... It was a really bad storm. But if you had enough money set aside in reserves, you were fine. You'd weather the storm. And now you would have made a ton of money on that real estate that you held. So that's number two, just be having money in reserves. And number three is the basic understanding of, of like math and how the math works. You don't have to be good at math because there's calculators everywhere that will do it for you. But you do have to have enough sense to recognize this is my income. These are my expenses. Income has to be bigger than expenses. And they fluctuate. They don't always stay the same. Your income doesn't always stay the same. There's going to be times where people leave or they can't pay their rent. There's going to be times where unexpected expenses happen. You, If you're one of those spreadsheet people that just hack, like sell A4 equals E6 and it has to work that way every time you're an engineer, you might have a hard time with recognizing that this is not like that. It moves. But as long as you can be okay with that flow, have reserves and have the right people, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, why real estate investing versus, say, the stock market? Why, why, do you, why are you an advocate for this? Okay, that's a good question. And I'll give you my very strong opinion on that. Real estate investing is better for building wealth. It is worse for saving time. Stock investing is worse for building wealth, but it is better for saving time. When, oh, from my perspective that's... of the real estate I've owned and the stocks I've owned, I frequently catch myself saying, why does anyone ever invest in stocks? When they're like, I got a 9% return. I mean, I could literally laugh at a 9% return when it compared to real estate. But what I've realized over time is it's because it's easy. There's just a button mm-hmm. I click and I own the, the stock. Hassle factor. I, there it's you 100% go. passive. Like, that it's, is, yes. Yeah. And the people who tend to do well stock trading are smart people who are making good money at a job and don't mm-hmm. want to stop to learn real estate. And I don't knock that at all. If that's your position in life, that's probably a better asset class. Well, and you can dollar cost average easier. I mean, you can just kind of you know put a regular amount in every month. It's 100% passive. Yeah. Yes. So if you've got a really strong offense, you're making great money at your job, and you just need a passive way to grow it, stocks are great. You're just clicking a button. Real estate makes you money in more ways, but it happens slower and it takes more work. It's much more like a farmer growing a field then going to the market, like maybe stocks would be compared to going to where the, the farmer's market, buying a cucumber and selling it for more somewhere else. You're avoiding all the work of having to grow a cucumber and own the property and, and hard cultivate it, but you're going to make less money. So the reason real estate does better is one, well, you get paid in many ways. The first is the prices tend to go up, appreciation. And that's because of inflation. And I don't think with the way the government's going, that's going to stop anytime soon. And that is what usually gets compared to stocks. They say, well, real estate goes up by A and stocks go up by B. So it's an apples to apples comparison. They're throwing out the fact that with the real estate, you're leveraging also. So if I'm buying a $500,000 property and it goes up by 10%, it went up by 50000 
But if I put 10% down, my 50,000 has gained 50,000. That's actually a 100% gain as opposed to stocks that you can't leverage. You pay that loan off over time is another way you make money. It's called principal reduction. So now we're at three ways that real estate can make you money. The cash flow of it, it tends to rent for more than what you paid. So unless you buy like a dividend type stock, which most people don't, you don't get that out of a stock. With stocks, you get one option. Got to buy low and sell high. And if it doesn't work out, there's nothing that you can do. And the fifth way real estate makes you money is through depreciation, which is an accounting term that protects the income that you make because that house is slowly falling apart over time. So the government lets you write off a big chunk of your profits against that loss. And when you just hold it, the cash flow keeps going up. The appreciation keeps going up. More and more of that principle is getting paid down over time. Uh, you can leverage the work of, of owning it to other people very easily. Over time, there's no comparison. It's not even close if you look at real estate. But if you're looking for a really quick win, you probably can do better at certain times with crypto or stocks. Well, and I would just add a sixth thing to that, which is you have a lot more control over your real estate assets oh, yeah, than you ever point. would of your stock. So if you're a, a good investor and you've held your properties over time, you can figure out the highest and best use for properties. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where we're at with our portfolio. We own a lot of properties in central Austin. And we're in the process of either upgrading them or turning one into a commercial property. We're adding accessory dwelling units to two. And um, you just can't do that. You you don't get to do that. with If you own Apple stock, there's absolutely nothing you can do to, to change it, control it, make it better, improve it, anything like that. Even if you were to go buy a thousand iPhones, you know. That's a great point. You get there's a value a add component to buying real estate. You can you can fix it up to make it worth more, and you have control over the price you buy it at. You can mm-hmm. get something under market value with real estate where stocks mm-hmm. doesn't don't work that way. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm curious, with all that said, thank you. That was super insightful. With all that said, what is the biggest obstacle to people getting started in real estate investing? And before you say, well, some people don't want to do it, I get that. There are thousands of people that I talk to that do want to do it, that say they know what to do, that probably understand generally what to do, and yet they don't. So what, what do you find the biggest obstacle to getting started is? It's the same obstacle our clients have when they want to buy a house and we know they should buy a house and they're just they're scared. It's the emotion that comes from, I don't know what to expect. So mm-hmm. what, one of the things we teach our agents comes from the book, Pitch Anything, which is mm-hmm. a terrible title, but it's a really good book as far as the psychology oh, okay. of, of how people think when it comes to, to making decisions. And they talk about how the way our brain is structured, there's basically three levels that information has to go through before we will make a decision. The first level of the brain is at the very base of the stem. And his argument is that, well, that's the part of the brain that developed first in people. I don't tend to think it has anything to do with how it was developed. I think it's just the way that like, God wired our brain to work as far as priority. And that's the, they call it the croc brain because it's like a reptile. It's just there to keep you alive. So if, mm-hmm. if you guys heard a loud noise right now, a big boom, nobody's like, oh, that means Santa's coming down the chimney. I'm so excited. When you hear a boom, your first <laughs> thought is something's going to kill me. Right? Yeah. It's actually amazing. Yes. How many things in life our first thought is something's going to kill me? It never stops. It's why when you get scared, you jump right away and adrenaline releases into your body. The first time when someone says, Hey, we need to talk, does anyone think we're going to discuss my Christmas present this year? No. No. It's bad bad news every time, right? So bad. (laughs) Your brain is hardwired to keep you alive before anything else. I should start doing that with my people. Just be like, Listen, you know what? We need to have a meeting. Okay. It's a rule. Just be like, hey, you know what? I'm 
I'm here to talk about Christmas bonus right now. <laughs> oh my God. BK, ben Kinney and I, we have a company-wide rule, no blind agendas. You are yeah. not allowed to text anybody and say, we need to meet. Yeah. We need to talk without an explanation. So that is, you could single-handedly change that by doing the Christmas meeting. The Christmas, in, in Christmas bonus. Wendy's so over here trying to retrain brains to work I'm the differently. Optimist. David yeah. and I are like, I'm, we're going to die. I'm the That's always our first thought. You, like, we're you guys like are death, both highly skeptical. Like death and tell. doom is happening yeah. immediately. And Wendy's yeah. like, your yeah. Christmas bonus. <laughs> so right, anyway. the first the first way that we interpret information is always from a how can this hurt me perspective. And that's what you have to understand. When you say to a client, hey, you should buy real estate, their first thoughts are always going to be, well, what if I lose money? What if it goes down? What if the market changes? What if something breaks? There's always a what if that's always negative. That's the you and the problem is we try to skip ahead to the part of the brain that makes decisions without satisfying the crock brain. And what you have to understand is before I let that information travel to the next decision making part of me, the crock brain has to shut up and be like, okay, I'll listen. Which is why if you say, hey, can you meet at three o'clock? I want to discuss the profit and loss and see if we can improve the whatever. The crock brain will calm down. Okay, tell me more. The next part of your brain that processes information is called the midbrain. And the midbrain's job is to review this stimulus in a social context. Meaning, compared to everything else that I know, how does this fit in? So you hear a loud crash. And if you're sitting in your own house, that's very scary. Somebody's breaking in. They're coming to get me. If you're in a restaurant and you hear a loud crash, you jump and then you go, oh, I bet you somebody dropped over a thing of glass or somebody dropped a tray or something like that. It, you calm down depending on the social situation. So the midbrain is really important because when we have to make decisions like, okay, I, I've decided I'm going to buy real estate. The next thought everyone goes through is, well, which house am I going to buy? And this is why agents have this ageless problem of I showed them houses that met their exact criteria and they just won't buy it. They want to look at a bunch of them. It's their midbrain is telling them there might be something else that you haven't seen yet. Don't move on this one because something better could be out there. We combat that on my team by sitting down and going over the list of houses that are available in the MLS and eliminating them. So you're only left with the three or four that we're actually going to show you. And then your midbrain is quiet. It's the same thing for people sitting here saying, well, should I invest in real estate? When you get to the midbrain, you have to ask yourself, is this the best decision? Real estate, stocks, crypto, my 401k. You have to compare it to everything else. And you, your midbrain has to say, yes, I will accept real estate is the best. The last part is called the neocortex. And the neocortex is where we process logic, reason, math, common sense type things. The problem is we all assume that we're walking around in our neocortex all the time because we're so like emotionally intelligent and, and responsive and reasonable, mature. We're not. We're, they we're, call me via neocortex, just saying. There you go, via cortex. That's kind of a That's nickname funny. that yeah. I have. Via So yeah, one of the mistakes we make in communication is Back I've worked Smith. through... What's that? I was just going to say. Sorry. No, we're just, we, just, we just made a joke before. Oh, okay. a joke about... I'm, I'm the wordsmith. Via's the backup wordsmith. And I'm the backup thinking, wordsmith. When I think you said David's that, I was like, maybe whoa, number, number three. David's might in the be running now. for my position. Backup okay. wordsmith. Yeah. I joined the wordsmith team. Glad to be here. Right, so we walk around in our own neocortex. We know that our client should buy a house or someone should do something because we've worked through the, the crock brain and the midbrain, And we know here's your ROI. Here's your numbers. Like That's what we're talking about on this show right now. Here's all the information that you need to make a decision. 
But until they have got to the neocortex, that language doesn't mean anything to them. We're, we're blah, blah. They're just hearing Charlie Brown's teacher in the background as we talk about ROI and, and ARR, ARV. Wow, wow, and wow. Yes, that's exactly all they're hearing because they're still thinking, what if I lose my money? They haven't got past that. So the question was, what stops us from buying real estate? And it's you. Your own brain is fighting you because it's, it's trying to keep you safe by telling you all the reasons that you could lose. And you have to work through that to get to the part of the brain, the neocortex, where everything we're saying on this podcast will actually make sense to you. So how? What's your advice? I mean... The first that? thing would be to recognize that your feelings will often lie to you. Now, that doesn't mean that like you can't trust any feeling. But you have to know the croc brain's job is not to make me prosperous. It's not to make me wealthy. That is not their job. Okay, Just like on our real estate team, we don't expect a transaction coordinator to go do a lot of lead generation. We don't say something's broken with them. We just don't lean on them for that purpose. So I still... I just bought a $15 million property. Biggest thing that I've ever bought. And I, I held true to my long distance investing principles. I never went to go see it. It's in another state. What I remember from that entire experience was I could not stop thinking the mortgage on this property is $80,000 a month. Okay. Of everything I'm looking at, that 80,000 just would not stop. Like your butt just puckers and it won't release. It's 80,000, 80,000, 80,000. What if I lose my tenants? How am I going to pay 80,000? It wouldn't quit. You might have to know. Where is it? You have to tell us where it is. (laughs) It's in Minnesota. It's uh, oh, like 50 minutes outside building. Minneapolis. It's a commercial building, a triple net oh, place. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. So my crack brain just was going nuts the whole time. I couldn't hear any of the stuff people were saying. That Every time I said, well, what about this? There was an answer. But I just felt all those same emotions. And, and the reason I got through it is I just said, thank you, crack brain. I, yes, I know it's $80,000. There's a whole bunch of more reasons. I don't have to worry about it. And then my bid brain was pretty good because I look at a lot of real estate. So I knew this was the best deal for my situation. It wasn't hard. Don't fight against your feeling. Don't say, I have to just do it even though I'm scared. It's like, accept it. Yeah, that part of me is telling me to be scared. That's good. Thank you. It's not the whole story. The next part of me is saying, look, this is the best option you have. This could change your life. This is going to put your kids through college. This is going to have a retirement plan in place for you. It's pretty solid compared to everything else. And then finally, the neocortex is like, yeah, look, this is the way this is going to work out. I think the people that never move into the realm of the neocortex, which is where it starts to make sense, are just stuck with their crock brain. And they're mm-hmm. they're letting that become their boss, their authority in their life. Their crock brain is what makes their decisions for them. Yeah. Well, and also our brain is always looking to validate our fears. You know what I mean? That's part of that's part of our brain's job. And and so when we have yes. this fear, our brain is looking to validate it. And I think the thing that you didn't mention, you sort of talked about it when you talked about the midbrain, but you also have social proof around you of how mm-hmm. this could actually work. And you know, we talk a lot about that here on the podcast. Like who you surround yourself with is absolutely everything. And, you know, if Brandon had been whispering in your ear, like, hey, David, this is a really dumb decision. Don't do that. Like, I don't care what the numbers look like. It's $80,000 a month. You probably would have backed away, but you have all these, all this community and people around you who are, who are giving you, you know, like, hey, thumbs up, you know, this is going to work for you. I think to your point, part of why I bought this triple net property was the people that I'm rubbing elbows with don't own single family residential because of the headache of it. Mm -hmm. They're only owning triple net. And that mm-hmm. that made me more likely to go pursue it in spite of being spared. So it's actually working for me. Here's the other thing, David, that you have. And there's a lot embedded in there. And the other thing is, is you have a plan. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're sort of executing a plan for yourself. So I think that helps get through your crock brain to the mid, at least the mid, you know, to higher level brain because you're like, hey, I've got a plan, I'm executing it. And the other thing is you have, you know, an analysis tool that you're comfortable with. You have a definition, you you have clarity on the outcome you want, on on the definition of what you want. You know, is it appreciation play? Is it a tax play? Is it a cash flow play? Is it all three? Is it just a wealth building net worth play? Whatever it is, you know, you have clarity on that and you've got a, an analysis plan. You've got the people around you. I mean, everything in your world, there's like 10 things embedded in that, that we could do an episode on each one, Wendy, on, right? Like the people around you, you know, the analysis, the plan, you know, everything. Well, and also things that seemed really hard and scary at first. Like I can remember, you know, the first time one of our rental properties, the air conditioner broke. I mean, literally my husband, Jay and I, we probably talked about it all weekend. Like, oh my God, these poor people, what are they doing? You know, and now it's like, Okay, fine, done, Mm -hmm. next, you know? And so there's this kind of leveling up with your comfortability and your fear and all of that. Because if you'd had that first deal instead of your $565,000 deal in Lathrop, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have done it. Even if all the other things are true, even if Brandon is there telling you it's awesome, even if you're looking at the numbers and it makes sense, there's just a like a leveling up. That there's happens. a track record. I've walked through this forest many times. None of the tigers ate me. I can walk through it again, right? The first time in the forest, you're just what's going to come out and get me. And there's a story no, you're in the like, Bible. Ah! Yes, the, your crock brain won't stop. Every twig, yeah. every stick that breaks is the tiger. And that's, yeah. I think, another yeah. reason people don't get into it. There's a story in the Bible where David fights Goliath and everybody knows that story, right? He goes in there with this rock and he beats the guy that has the big sword because he had faith. What often gets missed in that story when they say, David, why do you think you can do this? Is he says, look, I've been in situations like this before. I was a shepherd and when the lion would take the sheep and it would take off, I chased down the lion, I hit it in the head, I took the sheep out of his mouth and then a bear did it, an even bigger adversary. If God delivered me from the lion and the bear, he's going to deliver me from Goliath. That always gets missed in that story, but it shows Mm -hmm. there's a part of us that needs to be building systematically. We like to take steps that make sense. And I think that's a big part when people are listening to us talk and they're like, I just could never buy a $15 million property. I, I shouldn't get started. They're not thinking about the fact that that's because you need to take smaller obstacles on and you will build up to the point that they don't seem scary. Yeah. Doing, doing hard things is a muscle, mm. right? Totally and You get is. to build that muscle, muscle over time. And this feels like a good time to go back to Wendy's original question. This feels like the right time to show us how you built your empire. What does your empire look like now, David? Because this this is a good segue. You, you started with that $195,000 property, right? And then, you know, roughly walk us through, you know, the what it turned into. So I bought that first one. Then the next year, I wasn't going to buy another house. My mom actually called me and said, hey, there's a house down the street from where we are. Do you think you want to buy it? And it was still the foreclosure time. So this house had been in and out of contract three times. It's always the mom's. Yes, that's exactly right. So I remember it had a pool in the backyard that had been drained and skateboarders were like skating in the pool. And a a friend of mine from from high school lived across the street. She was like chasing off these people and it was an escrow. So (laughs) I bought that house and I got a different property manager and that property manager was better. And I was like, oh, this is even easier. This is what it's like when they're better. So now I had 
a little bit more confidence. And then the third year, my grandmother died. And rather than having the family sell her house, I just had it appraised and I bought the house. And now I've got three houses. My identity has shifted to, I am a real estate investor. I own real Mm. estate. I talk about real estate to people. The year after that, I was purposeful. I went and I found a fourplex and I bought that. And this was the first time that I actually did math on a property other than, will it make more than what I'm spending. It was literally, that was my only metric. The rent is more than the expenses. I didn't care how much Mm -hmm. more. It was just more. So I bought it. With this fourplex, I did what was... I I looked at the return on investment. I didn't know it was called ROI. To me, it was just, hey, this thing is making a 30% return. In three years, it will pay itself off. That's how I was seeing it. I need to buy more of these. And that was 2013. That was right in California when the market shot off again. All the 2010 Mm -hmm. short sales were eligible to buy. They came in. It just turns around so fast when it does. I couldn't buy. I spent a year sulking. And then I moved to out-of-state investing. I started buying in Arizona. Because <laughs> the, the, the wave of like the market turning around starts in the coast and it moves inward, right? So yeah. I got ahead of the wave in Arizona. I bought four or five properties out there. And that's where I put together that long-distance investing system. I didn't know at the time that's what I was doing. But I just recognized... Okay, I'm going to need all the pieces I need here. And I just started asking my agent, do you have a painter? Do you have a lender? Do you have a property manager? And when one of them didn't do good, I just kind of switched them out with another one till the whole thing sort of made sense. I needed financing because I had probably like 10 or so properties I couldn't get regular loans. So I met a guy that had a connection with the bank in Florida. And it was just, oh, you're going to lend me money? Okay, I'll buy in Florida. So I did what I did in California and Arizona. And I went to Florida. And I started buying properties there. And that's when I recognized the, the pattern. Oh, I'm just doing the same thing every time. I go, I find the city I want to buy in. I find an agent. I ask these questions. I literally had a spreadsheet of like, what's the name of the person that fills the role? I filled it out and I started buying properties in Florida. Around that time, I rec- realized it takes like $60,000, $70,000 down every time to buy a house. That takes so much time to save. I'm buying like two houses a year, killing myself, working 100 hours a week. And I didn't know it was called the Burr Method, but I started using the Burr Method. I started buying fixer-uppers for cash, fixing them up, pulling money out of a line of credit that the bank was going to give me, and then using that money to go buy the next house. And I did that until my line of credit was filled. Then I refinanced them on a blanket mortgage to pay off the line of credit. And I started over with my next round of fixer-uppers. So at my peak, I was buying four to five houses a month and fixing them up. And then there was a combination of the bank said, okay, we don't want to lend on residential real estate. They actually thought that the market was going to crash. This was like four wow. years ago, which is funny. And um, I ended up just... It got to be too much of a hassle to keep buying properties. I got to about 40 single family homes. And, and this, is, this should not deter anyone from buying them. But like anything in life, there is a law of diminishing returns. right? That, that four or 500 bucks a month and you get two houses, when you're starting can literally change your life. It's huge. You, you don't have to be tied to your W-2. You can get some like some momentum going as far as your savings. That lets you have money in reserve so you can take more risk buying houses. But at a certain point, it's just another freaking email and headache and phone call mm-hmm. that I have to take with what do we do? So I focused more on building the real estate team that I have now. And then I started a mortgage company. So I've been building that up also and kind of learning how to be a businessman, which is its own unique set of mm-hmm. challenges and be sucking for a long time before I oh, we know. slowly... We know. Right? Yeah. And then when yeah. I got said, hey, I'm going to get back into investing, I didn't want to go back to the same Burr Method single family house and get more of them. So I started getting that. I got that one big deal. And now I bought a couple of condos in Hawaii and I'm looking to buy some more property to do the short-term rental thing with. 
Ah, short-term rental. Interesting. So you've got the bigger pockets world that you are. You've got your real estate team, your your personal or you know whatever your entities are, business um, portfolio. And where's your team located? I just want to make sure people. We're know. in Northern California in a city called Brentwood, but we do okay. the East Bay of San Fran, the whole South Bay, San Francisco, and East Bay. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. All right. Right. So Wendy got me interested in this next question because, you know, you do have a lot of entities and, and I know that Wendy, me, all of our, our co-hosts on our um, podcast have a lot of entities. A lot of our listeners do. And Wendy is excited about the synergy you've created, right? Around your multiple businesses. Is that is that fair, Wendy? Is that kind of mm-hmm. what... Yeah. Is that a fair? So yeah. I'd love to know how you've done that and what that looks like. You know, I talked about Synergy the first time I spoke at a Keller Williams event. I think it was family reunion like three years ago about the synergy between being an investor and an agent. Well, I was about to say, I I was kind of nervous before I did that. And Wendy was in the front row, like smiling and giving me the thumbs up. It actually was very comforting for my first time speaking at a Keller Williams event. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always been interested and drawn to that concept of. Synergy, meaning like if I have two things, they should each make each other easier. Mm-hmm. So the, an example would be if you're used to flipping homes, you're buying a fixer upper, you are fixing it up, you're making it worth more than you're selling it. If To go from flipping homes to buying a Chick-fil-A franchise and trying to learn how to run a chicken sandwich place is there's no synergy. None of the skills that you have in each of these things help you. But if you go from flipping to burring, Instead of selling it, you just keep it and refinance it. And you make some slight adjustments with the material you use in the flip. You're only changing the last 10% of that process. So 90% of your skill set, your resources, your infrastructure is still useful to you. You only had to change the end. And I really like to look for ways to build synergy. So starting a mortgage company would be very hard to do from scratch. But when you already have a top producing real estate team that's feeding it 30 to 40 loans a month, and the the skill set of lead generation, like fish catching and then fish cleaning, like I talk about, is very similar in both of them. And well, also the influence mm-hmm. you have in your market and attracting talent and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So like recruiting, that's exactly right. People mm-hmm. come to me to be an agent. And I realize you would mm-hmm. not be a good agent, but I don't want to just have to say, go kick rocks. If I can say you could be good here instead, mm-hmm. yes, I can fill them all up with the same work. That's really... I look at myself like I'm trying to be a hub with spokes that shoot off of me. Mm-hmm. And I just want to push resources to those spokes. So mm-hmm. right now, the challenge is me becoming a better leader, hiring leaders. That's not something I've done very well. It all ends up sitting on me a lot of the time. But I can see the vision is as leaders start to take places in each of those spokes, I can amplify how quickly they would all be able to grow. And that's because of Synergy. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Love that. Love that. Well, I'm curious, what's your end game? I mean, obviously, you're... Some of my takeaways are you've taken advantage of some of the opportunities that have been presented to you. You've been pretty smart about thinking about what you want and what you don't want in terms of the hassle factor. What's your goalpost? What's your end game? Where are you going? The biggest one is that I'm still driven to do this. And as long as I have a drive, like an emotion inside, I interpret that as there's something God's teaching me about where I am. When I lose that, I don't want to do that. When I lose that desire to grow and conquer and and be excellent, well, I don't think I'll keep chasing it. But as long as it's there, I'm not going to leave just because it's like, well, I don't have to work, right? There's mm-hmm. more value to work than just money that comes in. I think a lot of people of only associate work with money. 
the what I'm working on right now. Because most people hate their jobs. 70% that's exactly of Americans right. hate their jobs. You know what's funny about that, Wendy? I was thinking about something the other day. I was with somebody and it was we were outside. And it was really hot. We were on a hike and they were complaining about how hot it was. And the hotter it got, the slower they walked. And we were like really close to the end and they were just walking so slow and then complaining the whole time. And I was like, look, if you can just stop complaining and walk faster, we'll be done in like seven minutes and it won't be hot, right? Why when it gets more uncomfortable, do you change your approach to where you're yeah. going to be there longer? And I, that makes me think about the average American in a job yeah. they hate, yeah. where if they would just work harder, do better, gain more skills, they'd get promoted. They wouldn't be in the position that they hate or they could work at another job. But instead, they're like, I'm just going to be worse of an employee and like just try to take their money without working yeah. and guarantee I'm stuck yeah. here forever. That is so I, true. I love that. Yeah, because I'm always, I always want to get, if I'm running or something, I'm always like, I'm going to run really fast that last mile and get, because I always feel like the last mile is the money mile, you know? Mm. Yes, that's how that's how I am. If you put me in a situation I don't like, I respond with more intensity. I'm getting out of this thing, and I'm going to do better. Yeah, yeah. I just it baffles me why when people are unhappy, they say I'm going to make decisions that will keep me in this unhappy place for even longer. You see it with like, like I'm an admin, but I want to be an agent. Well, you're not ready to be an agent. There's skills you need to build. So they just like "Hmm, I'm just going to be a bad admin then until they let me be an agent. You're never going to be an agent with that attitude. So. That's just one thing that I've noticed. You need a new walking partner. Their job. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're so right, though. This passive acceptance and prolonging of agony versus just like putting on the armor and going into battle and like, you know, being proactive and being in action. Like, I'll admit it, the people I was just reflecting on it just now. And I am with the crowd. The people I hang out with do the latter. And so I forget that most people probably don't do that. No, yep. most people probably do the former. Right? It's a testament to the cool people I'm with. So the end game for me right now, what I'm working on is anytime something crosses my desk, some responsibility that falls on me. And this this sounds like this is probably the most like woo-woo-y you'll ever hear me talk. And I'm like, I just don't want to do that. That isn't that feels heavy. It doesn't feel light. I'm not excited about it. I need to find a way to leverage that to someone else. Create an opportunity for somebody that says, I love doing that. That is all I want to do. So like maybe for you to an example, be like bookkeeping. I don't think either one of you get really excited about bookkeeping right now. But there's people out there that are terrified of having to talk to a human being. And if you can provide them the chance to keep a book, they would love you forever. That's kind of where my mind is a lot of the time. What skills do I need to create in myself that I can find a way that everything that is heavy for me, I can leverage to someone that is light and I only do the light stuff so that I can continue growing without resentment. That's the problem is you're like, I have this great opportunity, but it's going to take me away from my family. It's going to take up my time. It's going to make me do something I don't like. That's when we don't like work. I'm trying to figure out, is there a way that I could make work not be terrible so that I'm energized about doing it? And when I come to work to make money, I make everybody smile. I make them happy. I create an environment that people like. I can be encouraging and and inspirational without just saying, well, work is hard, so I'm just going to quit and go sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais. That's your leadership journey. You know, that's the hardest thing about building an empire is, is it's actually, for those of us that are entrepreneurial, it's actually quite easy to get from A to B or A to C or A to D. And it's really hard to ramp up, stabilize, get those leaders in there and mm. do all of that. Otherwise, you know, 90% of businesses wouldn't go to, wouldn't go to business every single year. It's the hard part. 
Sure. Oh, it's, yeah. It's yeah. the soft skills that separate the empire builders from the not. The soft skills, the leading of people, not the hard skills. Like, you know how to do an analysis of a property, right? Leading yes. 50 people, that's a different that's, that's a different topic, right? So I'm curious what your guys' thoughts would be. I have this theory I'm kind of developing that success at a high level, like growing an empire, comes in three steps or maybe I look at like three dimensions. It's like 3D. The first dimension is where most people operate out of and it's all they ever do. And it's, it's, I would say, learn. They learn the job, they do it well. Many people never do their job well. But for those that are successful, that's as far as they got. On one axis, they were able to be better at their job. I sell houses, I analyze properties, I keep books. They have a skill that they do well and they get pegged at a certain point and they can't go any higher. Mm-hmm. The second dimension is leverage. That's a completely different skill set. You have to start all the way over, right? So like if you look at like on an axis... Go ahead, Wendy. Well, I just would argue... So I'm curious about leverage because I feel like some people are more prone to leverage than others. And it's harder for some people to leverage than others. I just... I feel feel like it's kind of like also being thrifty. You know what I mean? I feel like it's... I don't... I think it's nature and nurture, but I, I think some people are just prone to be better and worse at leveraging things out. Like they want more control or, you know, whatever it is. You can learn it. You can learn it also. But some people have a a, a bigger hurdle to jump over. And some people are probably better at learning and being good at a job than others would be. There's some people are a proclivity Mm -hmm. to do that. Most won't graduate to your second level. That's the thing. And the reason I think it's harder is it's a completely different skill set. What taught you how to be good at your job Mm -hmm. will not help you when it comes to leveraging other people. It's a whole new axis. And so, you know, that's one of the things you have to start over and you have to learn new skills and new abilities and, and have your personality change in new ways and let go of certain things to get to the leverage component. And then well, the and third most of the be, time, you have to do both at the same time, which yes, is what makes that, it really hard. Especially in the beginning until you get yeah. traction. That's exactly yeah. right. And that's yeah. another reason that you got to hold this stack of plates and then you got to build this stack up at the same time. And I think most people aren't willing to give up their forward momentum to even take a mm-hmm. step backwards mm-hmm. sometimes. I see that a mm-hmm. lot. People are like, I'm just going to charge forward no matter what. And if I go a step back, I'm failing, yeah. even though they're failing to be successful. So in this example, that's exactly what I see. You hit a certain point where you just you can't charge forward and make progress. And you like like single single agents. Most of them that I've ever met, somewhere at forty to fifty transactions a year, they cannot do yep. more than that. Your life sucks lower. at that, right? Like yeah, mm-hmm. that's like the best people. You just you can stay at fifty, but if you just keep charging, you're not getting to 60, 70, 80, 90. You have to learn leverage at that point if you want to. And like you said, Wendy, you're going to take a step back. It's going to go slower. You're going to sell less houses. You're going to fail at leverage because you have to learn who do I hire? How do I train them? How do I build a system? How do I recognize what's working? But if you get good at it, you've learned it and you've leveraged it. Now you can get to like 300 houses. It's massive. In, uh, so what's your third step? That's what's leadership. The step? They all start with oh, L. I, I did that yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Oh, That's a whole new skill set. So now I got to learn how to lead a bunch of people yeah. that are leveraging something and I start all the way over at scratch. It's well, and really leadership difficult. doesn't give you the kind of, you know, dopamine highs mm-hmm. that some of the other activities do. It's like, I think mm-hmm. about you're really good at baking cupcakes. Okay, great. I sold 12 cupcakes. Boom. You get a little dopamine hit. Boom. I sold, I sold 12 more. Nobody gets a dopamine hit from being like, oh yeah, I succeeded as a leader today. Like nobody left my team or... That is you so know, true. That's I say it, that. So, 
Yeah, unless you're in the high, high, low lows, you're right. Like in the in the stable middle yeah. where you really want to live, you're right. There's not a lot of dopamine. That's hits. one of yeah. the reasons this is hard for agents. Because like for me, getting a listing agreement signed was the dopamine hit of dope. As an agent, yeah, because we're deal We're all when I left is, that right? thing with that thing signed. I was on That's top right. of the world. What? I loved it. Yeah. And then, then we we're all lighting up right now because we're all just thinking about it. Right? Like, oh, yeah, head. we're like, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then you get to where you have to go on these listing appointments and you start to resent it. You're like, why am I yeah. another one? What this? Why can't someone else do this? You start having those thoughts. Well, when you get three people going on listing appointments for you, you are doing better on paper, but you're not getting that dopamine hit mm-hmm. that you got, and that makes it tempting to want to fall back into that mm-hmm. thing or yes. not push forward. Yeah, yeah, and that's why sure. so many people. It's always like. My dopamine is I'm number one. I'm I'm the first. I'm I did this. I'm no, I'm the number one. And like we were talking about before, I mean, being number one is awesome because it shows you, uh, it shows to the world how much work you've done. And yet, for a lot of people, that's actually not the best place for them. It's not something mm-hmm. to to necessarily strive for. You know, a lot of people who are in that position are not profitable just doing anything to get to number that's one. That's so like, true because that's where the dopamine possible. comes from. So they've yeah. compromised on all the principles yeah. of business just to have that dopamine They're hit. buying revenue to be number one to get mm-hmm. the dopamine hit. I think I like your leadership triangle. Ben has a leadership triangle that he does. It's sort of similar, but the last one, so it'd be like adding one is, you know, it's leading followers effectively. And then the last one would be leading leaders. So, you know, like sort of leading people that now are turning into the the bottom three of your pyramid, mm-hmm. right? If I'm visualizing that yep. as a pyramid, which is something yeah. to ponder and think about in that model because... Um, I think I think John Maxwell talks about that in his five. He does. He, it's super yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. I don't think most people will graduate, but individual contributor to the leverage component that you're talking about, David. That's the top twenty percent of that, mm-hmm. and that that is where that is, most people will live. I think I don't have any stats on that, but I think most people will live in that bottom area. And controversial, controversial comment: most people might maybe it's better. I mean, I am not 100% sure that... I mean, we need to leverage some things, but I'm not 100% sure everyone does need to have these empires where they're leading a lot of people. I'm not sure. You know, I 1,000% agree with you. It's one of those things where you, you say you should count the cost before you start. Yeah. The yeah. example that I always give is everybody wants the rock's body, at least every guy. I, w- I wish I could look like the rock. But the reality is, no, you don't. Because if you went and worked out with the rock, enough times, you'd end up with his body. You would never get through the workouts he puts himself through to have that body. A lot of the time we look at the upper level people. I wish I could be there. I want to be number one. You probably don't. You'd be on the path to number one if you actually wanted to be there. You don't want to be there. And it's perfectly fine to say, no, I want to play this role in the collective empire that we're building. And this is where I'm comfortable. This is where my dopamine comes from. This is where I get gratification. You don't all have to be the person who's trying to get to the top. And that's why I like that three dimensions that I mentioned because it makes mm-hmm. so some people can realize, oh, to get from here to there, I have to learn leverage. I don't want to do that. Just be great at, at the first dimension. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it just it just goes down to you know, knowing your values. What are your core values? Why are you here on earth? You know, God puts us here on earth for a reason and figuring out your mission. Most people just never 
take the time to think about their mission or why they're here. And if you don't, you're just you're just a hamster on a wheel. You're just rolling through life without purpose, priority, yeah. or um, undisciplined or, or pursuit anything. of more. Like I say yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, today's episode has been incredible. Thank you so much, David, for being such a spectacular co-host today. Yeah, for sure. I had a lot of takeaways. Uh, a lot of takeaways about real estate investing, which is, uh, you know, uh, doing hard things is a muscle that you get to grow over time. Um, anybody can get into real estate. I, I think that my journey into real estate investing was just like yours. I didn't really know what I was doing. I made a lot of dumb decisions at the beginning, but I just stuck with it. And almost any real estate decision looks good. Uh, 10 years in the future, you know, looking back 10 years, almost any real estate decision looks really good. And, you know, it's kind of like you do you. If you want to have single family investments, do that. If you're, if you don't want the hassle of that, then you get to move up and, uh, you know, do the hard thing of having an $80,000 a month mortgage, which is incredible. I loved what you said about the, about our different brains, right? Mm -hmm. The way we think about different things and how that really Mm -hmm. affects us really in every way. And then our good discussion on leverage. I love that we ended with that. So it's been me too a treat to hear about you and your empire and anything you would add, Via? No, other than, I mean, I think I can speak for Wendy. Will you come back? I think we need, we need you back. Absolutely. This was a really a good time. David Green part two. Yeah. Okay. That, that's all I have to add. Yeah. We'll do it. Good. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Go out and build your empires and have a big business and an even bigger life. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to Empire Building. If you like what you heard, join our tribe by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and help us spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and review. Until next time, wishing you a life worth living. And remember, you are an empire builder. Empire Builder.